heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today for this Wednesday morning, the 10th of May. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. So much to get through on this very, very busy day and it's post-budget wrap-up that we will be dealing with today. So much to get through, and if you've missed any of our previous shows, you can always go to Ben Dobbin, Rural Queensland Today on Spotify and catch up with all the latest. Robbie Catter will join us shortly. Uh, the banks have had a backflip, but he'll also look at what is going on from a budget perspective. We're going to talk with Rural Doctors Association of Australia CEO, Peter Rutherford, just about the good news coming out of the budget, and Colin Boyce will join us as well. 7,700 in the Roma store sale yesterday. Cyril Close will be there to recap it, and we're also going to have a look at what else is making news around the state as well. Some big news as well with the former ANZ Agribusiness Manager taking on the Australian Brahmin Breeders Association uh, General Manager role. Uh, We might try and get her. Marsha Kelly will try and talk to her in the coming days. It's a big day. It's lots to get through. Rural Queen Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Colin Boyce joins us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Let's go to one of our own members, member for Flynn, Colin Boyce uh, from the Liberal National Party of Queensland and the House of Representatives joins us this morning. Colin, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. Yeah, good morning, uh, Ben. Good to hear from you again. Mate, talk to me. um, What's the LNP and, and the National Party's real gut feel on this budget? Oh, look, it's a bit of an unknown at the moment. Obviously, there is uh, significant funding, uh, you know, given to, uh, uh, you know, the low socioeconomic end of our society in respect to uh, increases in Medicare, uh, rent assistance, uh, job seeker assistance, all of these sorts of things. Uh, I would argue that those monies will be spent, put back into the system. That's what drives inflationary pressures and... uh, Obviously, the Reserve Bank uh, counters that with interest rate rises. Mr Chalmers is arguing that that won't happen, um, so it remains to be seen what happens. There was a lot of money um, taken out of regional Australia, which is concerning, but one area that they have not really stuffed around with is the Medicare and the bulk billing, which we thought they were going to do. So for the low-income earners and, and for people like that, there still is that process. Do you think that they're listening um, look, obviously, uh, Medicare has uh, received, uh, you know, triple its its funding, um, uh, bulk billing, and so forth. Uh, again, I would argue that uh, this will have limited effect, particularly in big electorates like Flynn, yep. where there are very few GPs that are still uh, operational. Um, there are no GP services available west of Emerald, for an example. Uh, And this is because of state government health policy that has uh, deliberately favoured the universal health system uh, over private practice. Um, So obviously it's a good thing for big regional centres and uh, metropolitan Australia, uh, absolutely, but how that that affects small country communities is another arguing point. The budget increased the instant tax write-off for small businesses as well. It gave biosecurity a billion-dollar boost and increased welfare payments. I get all that, but 
the concern that I've got is this climate smart agriculture that they go around. Now, we were talking with Jane McNamara yesterday um, and, you know, the Flinders mayor, and she's saying, you know, they want to put these wind turbines in, yet they haven't got the water to pour the concrete bases to mix the concrete at the back and so they won't improve the roads to bring truck. Like it's just they don't actually – there's not actually a lot of thought process goes into it. What they do say is, yeah, we're going to do this and they don't understand exactly what's going on and and when I see, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for climate smart agriculture, I start to shudder. I really do because there's been no thought process behind it. Oh, look, uh, I agree with you absolutely, and it's a, it's a rather pious argument, particularly when you don't back it up with the logistical problems that we have to be able to deliver those programs. Uh, one of the big issues, particularly in central Queensland, is, is uh, uh, the funding for all of these uh, infrastructure programs that's been put in place, and the government has now said that all of these programs will be put under review, uh, $120 billion worth of them, and just to uh, flag a few in central Queensland that are now under review, the Beef Roads Program, the sealing of the Tambo Springshaw uh, Road, uh, possibly the uh, Rockhampton Ring Road, definitely um, uh, upgrades to the Bruce Highway. Uh, all of these programs are now under this 90-day review and will be reviewed on a priority basis. So Mr Chalmers is on the record uh, as saying that there will be more difficult decisions made. So uh, it remains to be seen what's going to get the axe. I predict that a lot of these programs will get the axe. Can I ask you this? Are you concerned about how Tanya Plibersek is shutting down mines and not approving? Like, you know, the central needs a happy medium of mining, agriculture, tourism. It's a melting pot, right? And it's always been this way. She's just saying no. She's just saying flat out no. Oh, correct. And uh, if you look at the budget surplus, $4.2 billion of budget surplus uh, this financial year, that has been provided by uh, the mining and resource sector and the agricultural sector over the past years. the Albanese government is obviously, uh, in respect to mining approvals through Tanya Plebiscite, is uh, cowering to the Greens, who they've, done, who they've done a deal with over no new gas projects and no new coal mine. Yeah, gee whiz. We're literally cutting the head off. Yeah, we're literally cutting the head off. We're cutting the head off the goose that lays the golden egg, pretty much. So, what happens when we're broke on? What happens when, when the, what happens when the lights get turned off? Well, that's uh, exactly right, and uh, some would argue that the strategy is to uh, let Rome burn, so to speak, because the only way that uh, the pious virtue signals in metropolitan Australia will understand our our energy uh, problems is when the lights goes out, when it directly affects them. So, um, you know, we'll wait and see. We've seen the closure of uh, the Bell Power Station recently, Uh uh, Earring Power Station is predicted to close in 2025. That is 35% of New South Wales's generating capacity. What are we going to replace it with? That's the biggest question I know. I, I don't understand. I see that Gladstone, mate, uh, they're making it this energy hub and wonderful for the port of Gladstone. They still haven't got a doctor medic, uh, maternity service would there yet. We're 301 days or something ridiculous now. People still can't have a can't have a a baby in Gladstone with you know under the the right way if they have to have a Caesar. Oh, absolutely, Ben. And uh, as I said, this is part of these logistical problems that are attached to all of these uh, 
wonderful ideas to transition to uh, alternate energy sources. If you don't have enough health services to attract people to places like Gladstone, they're not going to come. Uh, you know, there's four bridges that go into the port of Gladstone. They've all got weight and load restrictions put on them. So all of these big uh, components going to, uh, you know, the wind turbines and the power stations and so forth, um, they have to find alternate routes and it's just a fiasco. So uh, we need infrastructure programs put in place to address all of these livability issues and road transport issues if they're going to proceed with all of these uh, these big uh, ideas that they have. Yeah, well said. Colin Boyce, great to talk to you. Member for Flynn, appreciate your time this morning on Rural Queensland today. Yeah, good on you, Ben. Thank you, mate. We'll take a break, come back with more. Lots to get through this morning on Rural Queensland today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is the 10th of May. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's certainly cold throughout Queensland, but the the sales, they go on. 7,700 yarded yesterday at the weekly um, store and prime sale at Roma. Cyril Close joins us this morning. Cyril, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. Yeah, morning, Robbo. How are you, mate? All right. Healthy yarding. I mean, last week was a massive yarding, and um, obviously throughout the state, uh, there was an easing everywhere throughout the state last week, Um, just an absolute huge amount of numbers. It was, in fact, the perfect storm. Uh, Two two absolute long weekends that didn't help anybody, and then um, dry weather conditions, and just that time of the year where people are weaning, and then they get rolling, and then, you know, across... Queensland, it was the biggest yarding of cattle they've had in some time. Well, things have calmed down a little bit, and 7,700 is just a, an average an average yarding and pretty consistent in the sense of, at Roma, and surprise, surprise, steers got dearer again. It, it was, it's a strange market at the moment considering the weather se- temperatures. Oh, mate, there's a hell of a lot of – you probably named most of them and there's, there's people ask, you know, what's um, causing this? Well, there's not one thing causing it. Um, it, it is a – it's a, a myriad of different uh, issues across the supply, its season and its um, availability of, of livestock. So, which is there is, you know, this time of year is a general sell-off for us through this district of, as you just said, your wieners and then obviously then being dry, you've got more – Spare cattle that are around that people are not going to want to carry through when we haven't even hit winter yet. So, um, yeah, there, there's a, it's not just one thing that's causing this downturn. So, um, but it is it's on. Uh, it's serious that it's happening, and don't think it's going to get any dearer anytime soon because the, the rain forecast doesn't look that great for cropping. So, yeah, it um, it is happening. So let's talk through that steer job. Um, it, it, it got dearer in places. Good quality, lightweight restocker steers. They topped up at four thirty four to average close to four bucks. You know where I two eighty to three three thirty kilo steers around that same money as well. So I mean, you know, it. Yeah, are we where we were twelve months ago? Hell no. But you know, it, 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 it's sort of leveled and platter, and, and in fact, in fact, it's a, it's a few cents dearer than what it's been over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the old roller coaster, mate. So what happened last week was a um, we didn't get to report, but it was probably one of the most amazing quality yardings of, of uh, weaner cattle uh, presented in the Maranoa for a number, of, you know, probably for probably for twelve months at least. Anyway, so. It was a super yarding of cattle. We probably were a bit short on buyers last week for the numbers that we had there. 
This week, few less cattle, a lot more mixed up yarding, and I mean mixed up in weight ranges and and quality. So the what the few lines of cattle that were there uh, attracted good solid competition with uh, with the buyers and a few extra buyers turned up seeing that uh, downturn last week. So yeah, yeah it makes it it makes it different. Yeah, that man, that's yeah. what happens, you know, and we see it many times and consistency. Heifers were cheaper yesterday, uh, quoting like you know, a, a, a considerable drop, and they're always the ones to fall away. Um, uh, but, you know, like obviously it, you've got to look at the quality lines as well. I mean, you know, not every single heifer that was sold there yesterday that was cheaper was of, of top swinge and quality, um, the, the mixed yarding, but it's considerably cheaper in the market yesterday, that store heifer job. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the, the good thing is like, there were three new sort of buyers turn up. Over the last few weeks, there's been a new buyer turn up in that heifer market, in the light wiener heifer market I'm talking, uh, the, from the western areas, Winton, Longreach and, and further up. So we are seeing those fellas come down and realise there's an opportunity to put those little cattle away. So, you know, the, the, there's always an upside in everything. Mad, imagine if uh, those fellas never turned up. So there's people seeing opportunity there, and, and there definitely is in that heifer world. Um, put them away and forget about them, or put them away and join them, or you know, there's there's options there. You can't join a steer. So there is uh, there is that, mate. Um, yes, it was off the pace quite a bit in parts, but then that was quite relevant to the quality that was there too. It was way more mixed up than the week before. Are you surprised where the jobs got to, Cyril? I mean, we talk every week, and Roma is the premier yarding and premier sale yards in Australia for store cattle, and it's been that consistently year on year forever. Now, in all seriousness, the the, jo- the job is the job is cheaper. We all know that, and you know the job has been cheaper all year, and the last eighteen months prior, wonderful. And there's no there's no two ways to say that you know it could well and truly get back there at some point, and we are on the roller coaster. What you said, but are you surprised where it's got to? Uh, to be perfectly honest, mate, I'm not surprised that it's come back. I've been saying along in in our business to, to the boys and, and our clients that, that I see a fair correction coming this year. I am surprised that it's happened so quick, but that in line comes along with the seasonal the way it's just. We just didn't get any summer rain, so that's probably fast tracked it more. Um, I, I, I did personally see this job getting quite tight this year, um, but yeah, not to this level, mate. I don't profess that I knew that one little bit, but I'm I'm not overly surprised. But just how quick it has happened, I am. Yes. How dry is it, mate? In through the Maranoa, like we talk about other areas, like the, the west, like Winton and that, and through there, having a phenomenal, phenomenal season and. To be fair, they've had a bad run for a long time. So, you know, I don't mind. But the Marinara have had a bad run as well. And, you know, you got a little touch and then and then it's gone very, very dry again. Yeah, look, I've you know, been here since 95, mate. And I reckon this would be one of the toughest starts heading into winter because of the lack of feed available uh, and, and, the, and the minimal crops that are in the ground and going to probably get in the ground. So uh, not being alarmist or whatever else, but I... There's not much tucker in front of the cattle and we haven't had a frost yet. So once we get a frost on that, then that just takes away that last little bit of hate off buffle that might be there that they're getting a bit of value because the cattle are all in good condition. So that's testament to the quality of soils that's through here. Um, and we haven't had any spoiling rains or whatever else. So, no, it's tight enough, mate, without being alarmist. But uh, I think people's stocking rates are 
after 19 are, are more conservative that they should be uh, pretty comfortable, you know, in a comfortable position to go into a, a, a tight tight winter. Yeah, well, only time will tell. Um, prime job, not as strong, and that was an easing with the rates everywhere on the grids on Monday, and that's followed through, and, and we're seeing that also this morning in Dolby as well. So uh, that's no different. Uh, but we appreciate your time this morning, mate, and uh, obviously there's a lot going on. How cold there in the last couple of days? Good frosts? No, mate, we've dodged a bullet so far. Like, there, there might have been a couple of light frosts um, on the ground, Gilbar engine or whatever, apparently, but no, no, I thought we might have seen a, a cracker to start off with. But as I said, that's going to save us a little bit. Um, yeah, it's cold. It's two or four degrees or whatever it is, mate. But um, no, no, not, no, no big frost yet. So I think that's just a, we can breathe a sigh of relief for, for a few more weeks, hopefully. I love it. I love it. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, mate. Thank good, you. Good on you. Uh, Cyril Close from Top X Roma, Managing Director and Owner of Top X Roma and Top X Australia, joining us this morning on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Let's go straight to the budget report with Robbie Catter, leader of the Catter Party, and here, and he joins us. Rob, once again, the regions have been dotted. Um, look, we're going to talk with the Rural Doctors Association of Australia, CEO Peter Rutherford, a little later. The doctors with the Medicare rebates and some of the bulk billing, yes, there's a big tick there, but roads, health, you know, services, biosecurity, it, they're just ripping the guts out of what is rural Australia and especially, more importantly, rural Queensland. Um it is a worry because it, it, they are just going more and more, more and more city centric. Yeah, mate, um, never. I never have any expectations at all about any state or federal budgets, and um, you know, and their focus is renewable energy, and um, they're looking to um, provide some relief from power price, energy prices when they're flogging us over the head with renewable energy. Um, it sounds sort of feels like you're watching an episode of Utopia. And making the power more expensive, and then trying to reimburse you for it or give you relief from it, and um, and closing them coal-fired power stations, and and might add that closing up mines. There's two mines that shut down um, projects that were shut down last week. So, and that's that's an interesting observation. And um, yeah, you know, nothing there for um, nothing there of significance that I'm aware of from his pretty early days, but of. of any major road infrastructure projects. I do have to say one positive thing. I believe the money that was um, in there for the Hewenden Dam has still remained in there, um, which we're pretty happy about. Um, it, uh, that's probably uh, probably pretty good testament to Dad's um, tenacity being in there as, as well. So um, you know, a little ray of sunshine for us in the north, but uh, I don't think there's too much in there for rural region Australia or definitely Queensland anyway. Um, this is something pretty pretty uh, unbelievable and um, it, it, it's something that I always look at and go, well, hang on, um, why why do they not look at us? Why do they not think and understand it? And, and it gets more and more that fundamentally th- there's a lack of understanding. How do we get a bigger understanding and, and more understanding? Th- this yeah. far left, green, you know, renewable, net zero sort of mindset – yeah. The filter, we all know here that there's a happy medium. We know it and yeah. we've said that. Yeah. 
but they're mm-hmm. not there, and and it just seems to be one extreme. So when when the lights get turned off, and, and I'm genuine yeah. about this, when when we run out of power this year, or when there's communities that have got nothing, and they said it's catastrophic, and they look at it and they go, w- "What do we do then? Like, how does it go?" Yeah, yeah, I don't know, mate. I mean, one of the major um, tests I have for, you know, you might say litmus test I have for on the sincerity of the push for net zero or climate change that I don't believe um, you know I'm, I'm not a believer in all this stuff I, I believe in not wasting and trying to reduce your footprint and all that I think that's good and trying to help them mind that's good but the stuff that they're carrying on with I just don't buy it and um, one of the one of the main reasons um, that I, you know piece of evidence that I do know that and invalidates what they say is that if you really were setting out to reduce emissions in Australia, and let's just keep it to Queensland, if you really were setting out to reduce emissions, you'd look at um, what's what's some cheap policy that doesn't cost the taxpayers that reduces emissions. Well, ethanol in cars, if you put E10 in your tank, that reduces your tailpipe emissions by 30%. So if you mandated ethanol tomorrow, and there's only, there'd only be about 10% of cars left on the road that aren't compliant with ethanol that might need, um, you know, converter kits or something. So you're hardly affecting anyone. That And you put E10, the mandated E10, that would be the same as taking 30% of petrol-driven cars off the road in one hit. Cost people nothing. And you'd stimulate grain growers out in the West and, um, and stimulate farming, which I, I think is the main reason they won't do it because it has the potential to stimulate farming. And... Um, and um, I can't think of the bloke's name at the moment. He was the deputy, uh, the vice president of the United States, Al Gore was his name. He said um, ethanol is one of the main ways to help the planet. And not that I like Al Gore much, but um, that's what he said. That's his words, that ethanol is one of the main ways to save the planet. And they don't even talk about it. Queensland government, Australian government don't even talk about it. And uh, yet it's one of the best things we've got sitting right in front of us right now. And, and I've got plenty of scientists to tell you, uh, ethanol-driven cars are much better than an electric, electric vehicle for reducing your carbon footprint. So if you're not even talking about that, I call BS on it all. Um, because there's a, and that just shows you it's all driven by politics and uh, they're not really interested in the outcomes. So, um, you know, all these shutdown coal-fired power stations trying to put in these... Um, renewable plants and everything, I think, um, I just think there's a hell of a lot of politics in it and very little sincerity and it's going to, it's costing us all very dearly, very significantly and, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, mate, it just seems like madness. It certainly does. There's no two ways about it. It, it is absolute madness. One thing, and people power has been absolutely at, at the best, is the Westpac Banking Organisation having a complete back backflip on shutting down their Westpac branches. Now, this affects the town of Cloncurry, Ingham and Tully at the moment, that they are going to remain permanently open. Now, it's a win. <laughs> it's a, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I've never heard of them actually backflipping before, but they have. But the fact that they made a ridiculous billions and billion-dollar profits this week as well, you know, irks me. But the fact is that they are remaining open. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd like to say, I think we played a bit of a role there. Um, the lives kicked up a fair stink and um, got a bit, fair bit of attention on it. But, um, yeah, they've, um, for whatever reason, they've they've um, remained open, those banks, and um, they've got the, we've got the Senate inquiry coming through on regional banking and um, 
I can tell you right now, I'll be saying is, well, um, you know, both of you guys, both parties were behind sacking of Christine Holgate, who was going to set up a Australia Postal Bank, which would have acted as competition to these ones and would have set up branches where these, these blokes were all closing ones down. And so we've got the answer that was sitting right there. And we had the person to facilitate that. And um, New Zealand has a postal bank. They only did it 10 years ago or something. And, and it's been a success. Um, and it's been done before in history. We had the Commonwealth Bank that filled the gap where others um, didn't want to operate. And, you know, right now, that's what I'll be saying in the Senate quite right now, the silent killer of our bush economies is the fact that banks don't want to lend there. You go try and buy a house in Richmond or Hyundai now, they might ask you for 40%, 50% deposit. And they just don't want to lend there. That's the, that's the point. They'll lend money to the same people in Townsville. They want to buy a house in Townsville, Brisbane. No problem. But you want to spend your money to buy in a small town. They just don't want to lend you that money there now. And they'll make up all sorts of excuses. It's a silent killer. If you have a government bank, they can um, bypass the, the all the regulations that the the, um, the banks work under now, and the and the system that they work under, and they can once again do loans in those areas where they you know where they're good viable lines, they still have to stand on their two feet, and um, that's the answer that's there, and that's what I'll be pushing for the KAP's um, big policy, and um, yeah, we'll see what happens there with that Senate inquiry, but I think that you know it's good to highlight with those um, those three banks. I mean, nice that they kept three open. And, um, you know, it's probably no coincidence that they did it in the month of Senate inquiry and, and, and under a lot of kicking and screaming yeah. from the locals. It was great work by the Quonkari locals on that bank. Well, it should never and, have got uh, to that. It should never have got to that. No. Appreciate your time no. this morning, mate. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, I understand how busy you are. We'll catch up again shortly. Yeah, legend, Dolo. Thanks, mate. Good on you, Robbie Catter. Uh, mate, you looked flash in the black tie, mate. 100-year ball as well, mate. Like... You scrub up all right, brother. Good on you. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> We'll take a break, That's come right. back. Robbie Catter, Rural Queensland today. We're also going to unpack and we will talk with Peter Rutherford from the Rural Doctors um, Association of Australia, so she'll join us as well. This is Rural Queensland today. It's Wednesday, the 10th of May. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning on this Wednesday morning, the 10th of May. Now, listen, I'm not going to bang on about the budget for the rest of the year. Today is the day where we recap it. And we started the show by talking about some of the real drawbacks on it, but there has been some positives and there is some areas uh, where we are really happy that the government have at least acknowledged and have been made aware that there is some concerns. Rural Doctors Association of Australia, Peter Rutherford, joins us this morning. She's been on our show before. Uh, good morning, Peter. Um, in all seriousness, the health of rural Australia didn't fare anywhere near as badly as other areas. It was, in actual fact, quite, in some areas, a positive response from the government. Yes, yeah, certainly with a number of initiatives which I think have been quite targeted um, and in recognition of the, the challenges that rural have. So the tripling of the bulk billing allowance, which is already scaled, so the more remote you leave, uh, you know, the doctors are working, the higher the um, payment is. So, you know, for someone in a very remote community or a doctor in a very remote community, that bulk billing incentive has increased from $13 to $39. So, We've been, you know, talking with government about how to support the viability of rural general practice, and this is a big part of, you know, ensuring that that happens in the longer term. Um, you know, we have a lot of mixed billing practices, 
but we'd seen a lot of rural doctors have to move away from bulk billing uh, at all. And that's been a challenge or they've had to increase their, you know, their fees. So those that could afford to pay were paying a significant out-of-pocket expense. And I think this will help rebalance it. I think it'll mean that people who are eligible for bulk billing, so children under 16, healthcare card holders, so our most vulnerable, you know, more of them will be able to access bulk billing services. And we'll probably see a little bit of a balancing of, um, you know, fees for the people who do pay and because they won't be having to subsidise the bulk billing patients as much as they have been. So I think this will help rebalance a lot of the things in general practice. There's also a significant level of investment to support practices to employ practice nurses, allied health professionals and Aboriginal health workers. And again, that's a a program that is... um, tiered for rurality. So the more rural and remote you go, the higher the support payment. So I think there is definitely recognition of the challenges, particularly within health, that our rural and remote communities face in the employment and recruitment and retention of health professionals. That's been a big one, isn't it? There is a pathway there that we can sort of retain. But the bulk billing, Medicare, you're happy with it? You're happy with how they've not completely gone over the top with Medicare? Uh, look, for rural doctors, you know, our members are certainly focused on the viability of general practice. It's not about, you know, necessarily paying the doctors more, but it's about how, you know, the small business general practice in our rural and remote communities can continue to afford to open their doors. Like there's a lot of costs associated with running a small business general practice and, and that's been the real concern for us. So this is a positive step um, in relation to bigger ticket reform. Um, we'll certainly talk with government and the Department of Health to look at where they can do that um, because we do want to ensure that people can access a GP, a regular GP um, and do that close to home but as well as have access to a broad range of health services um, in their community. So I think there's still more more work to be done, but certainly as the first budget, which is not the election-type commitment budget, um, this government's done a good job to really target some significant levels of investment and get, you know, some targeted incentives right um, to improve the access and the equitable access um, to healthcare services. So, uh, in, in all seriousness, Peter, the, the Rural Doctors Association of Australia, where do you guys sit day after the budget? Um, and obviously, you would have been briefed. Uh, is it a positive, positive response for you? What is the statement that you guys have made uh, that will go national? Well, we've certainly welcomed it. We always, you know, spend the next couple of days going through the fine detail. Um, there's some things in there that. Um, we're not sure of the details. So there's some scholarship funding support for international medical graduates, which many of our rural communities have relied on. Um, so we're going to be interested to get more detail on that. Um, there's the expansion of the single employer model for rural, gen- uh, rural generalists and GP registrars. And again, that's uh, an absolute game changer for the recruitment of the next generation of doctors and something that Rural Doctors Association have been the lead advocate for. It's something that's been really important. We've listened to medical students and junior doctors. They're wanting 
this single employer model um, as part of their options when they're looking at a career in general practice. And basically, it means that they'd be on a more of a salaried arrangement, but get to keep all their entitlements that they've built up through the state healthcare system when they've worked there, like all the other um, registrars, you know, if you're in cardiology, anaesthetics, emergency medicine, you know, they get to enjoy those entitlements. Um, so rural GPs and rural generalist trainees are looking to enjoy those same entitlements. Can I ask you this? We, we, we've spoken to countless GPs in the bush. We've seen the shortages. We, it's well documented like what the Blackhall Tambo Shire have done. It's well documented what's going on in Gladstone, you know, with specialists. We, we, we know exactly the health crisis here. And it's by no means the doctor's fault because there's just a shortage of GPs and specialists. It just is. And, so, and frontline workers in, from healthcare. How do we get more? I, I understand we've got to train our own. I, I, the JCU um, University is a wonderful, wonderful uh, university where we're training men and women, you know, to become doctors and a lot of them are staying in the bush. The, the nursing um, degrees out of Charleville, where the campus is at Charleville, fantastic. But we're talking three, five, seven years till we start to bear the fruit. So short term, how do we fix it? Well, I think that is the, um, you know, the international medical graduates and we've relied on um, overseas doctors for a long time and many of our rural communities are very grateful um, to those doctors because they have provided a service when there has not been a domestic, um, you know, graduated doctor to come. But I, I think we can't take our eye off the ball and we still need to address the maldistribution of our domestic graduates into rural careers. And there's a lot of work to be done with the specialty colleges, so not just the GP colleges, but all the medical colleges and the the culture within medicine. And you mentioned James Cook. James Cook have a very different approach to compared to many of the other universities. They employ a lot of GPs and rural doctors as part of their teaching staff. They ensure that there's continued exposure. Um, and what then follows on from that is a really good program within the Queensland Rural Generalist Pathway um, and also rural exposure as a, a junior doctor. We need to be seeing more of that in the other states. Now, the other states have their rural generalist pathway, but we need to be ramping it up. And I, I think the viability of general practice is one part of the solution, um, and we've seen steps in last night's budget to address that. But we also need to look at the workforce initiatives. And again, last night's budget did it continue to expand or invest in the expansion of the single employer model, which are critical. But there's definitely still more work to be done. Um, and interestingly, it won't all be government. It will be about the colleges stepping up and being prepared to train more people in rural. Um, it will be about, you know, local hospital management decisions about supporting you know, um, rural, rural community general practice as well as the hospitals. Um, we don't want one to thrive without the other because it creates an imbalance in the community. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done in this space, but the viability of general practice has been a deterrent from young people even choosing general practice as a career, whether that's rural or city. Um, it's turned them off and basically force them into other specialties. So we want to see, you know, the fact that this investment has come to support the viability of general practice, um, you know, is a good thing. It'll send a strong message to the next generation of doctors that general practice is a good career. It's a great career. 
um, you know, all of our members, particularly the rural generalists, you know, reckon it's the best job you can have. Um, and they're not sure why people would choose a job in the city. So we need to be getting that message across and we need to be getting the message across that this is a viable career. It's a career for the medium to long term. And there's lots of interesting work that you can do. And you'll be, you know, well remunerated and well supported just as you are as a city doctor. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, Peter Rutherford, I appreciate your time this morning, as usual, uh, comprehensive. And it's one of these things that I don't think any of us really understand the severity of it until we talk to people like yourself. Rural Doctors Association of Australia CEO, Peter Rutherford, and from the GP's perspective, it's a big pass um, from the Labor government and their budget. And an acknowledgement, still plenty of work to do, but they have addressed some of the concerns that the Rural Doctors Association of Australia had, and obviously they are working forward. Not over the line 100%, but very much so a step in the right direction. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today. It's the 10th of May, a Wednesday morning across Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on the 10th of May, Wednesday the 10th of May. Have a great day. And from all the team here, myself, Ben Dobbin, and the rest of the team here at the Resonate Broadcast Network, stay safe on the roads. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Spotify is where you'll get any of our previous episodes. You can always download that. And we will be back tomorrow morning from 9am. Ray Hadley joins you next. Have a great day, Queensland. Until next time, it's bye for now.